Voila. What's up, everyone? It is February. It's 2022. Welcome to Culture Class Podcast. I'm your host for the interim, Akanji, and today we are talking to Emily Adams. She, Her story is just incredible. I won't even preface it because I'll just let her tell you, but Emily, we're so glad to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. I feel honored to be part of it. And we feel honored to have you. What an incredible story. Before we dive into all of the deeds, give the people a little bit of a background, you know, who you are, um, just a short wrap up, and then we're going to dive into the meat of it. Yeah. So who am I? Well, I am first a mom. I always say I'm first a mom, a single mom of two boys, currently in the teenage stage, the scary Ooh. stage for all those parents out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also am um, an author and I work uh, right now remotely as a soft in a software um, industry and then do also business consulting and coaching um, on the side. So that's kind of who I am. Also compete um, competitively in powerlifting, one of my hobbies. Okay, so she's got beauty, brain, and strength. <laughs> you can say that, yeah. Is that how you say brawn? The three Bs? That's, that's what you need in this life. I mean, there's nothing else. Nothing else. Uh-huh. Well, we're so glad to have you. So um, you were raised Amish until you were 17. First of all, what does it mean to be Amish? Oh, man. That's a really good question and a question I get asked all the time. So first off, they are not a religion. It is a cult and it is a cult, but in a sense of they call themselves Christians. So if you ask an Amish person, you know, what do you guys believe? What it is, they'll they'll tell you we are Christians. The reason why I call it a cult and it's, it's a different culture is because they don't necessarily believe the way some Christians would believe. So it is very fear-based. Now, some Christians, you know, they still have some of that fear-based believing. It is very fear-based and rule-driven. And when I say rules, they have rules for everything. Everything from down to the way you part your hair as females, to the color of the socks you can wear, to how tall, how long your dress is. You can't wear pants as females. It is a very male-dominant culture. Women don't have voice. You don't speak up. You're you're not even seen or heard. This is the way their entire culture is ran. So the men uh, lead the church, the men lead everything. All the women do, do is stay at home, take care of the families, and that's it. And that means, you know, cooking, cleaning, sewing, all those things. So just to kind of paint you a picture, right? as a young girl growing up in the culture, so I went to school, we speak fluent German as well. Oh. So you don't, I didn't learn English until I was six or seven. And then I went to school and started picking up on English. Why? Primary, Why do you have to learn German? Is it? It's primary language. So churches are taught in German and that's always been primary their language. So that's okay. been their primary language. And then when we go to school, you go to school until eighth grade. Which this is for about, just women or both like both. boys and girls? Okay. Yes. So um, both um, girls and boys go to school until their eighth grade, which is equivalent to a sixth grade education in elementary school. Oh. And then because their education systems, they don't have certified teachers. It's just whoever is in the community and can teach. That is their education. And that sounds like there's definitely gaps in, in some of what the knowledge can be. Yes. So for example, when I went to go get my GED, I had a sixth grade level education. I never wrote a paper a day in my life. Uh, interesting now that I now write I'm, a book. Right? What a full circle. <laughs> I know. Um, I didn't have any trig, uh, no geometry. Um, math was just adding and subtracting, multiplying and dividing. Things, so none yeah. of that. And we didn't have language. 
because we, if we studied any language, it was a different version of German. So it was a high version of German. They call it high German. So their school systems were very, very different. And then you got out of school. I got out of school when I was 13. And so usually the normal path for women, for girls, the girls get out of school, their mom teaches them cooking, cleaning, all the things they need to know, um, how to take care of men, how to take care of families, like all these things. And then the boys go and work with their dad and they pick up whatever trade that their dad may have. Well, being that I was very much a tomboy, I refused to learn any of those things. Yeah, my mom taught me, you know, I know how to cook and I know how to clean, but I hated it. And I was outside all the time. So I was more hung out with my dad after getting out of school, which is not something that normally happens in the culture. And so you're doing this, your child, and you're showing obvious, clear signs of this is not who I am. I'm sure at this age, you yourself don't quite understand why you're different. And I'm sure people are telling you there's something wrong with you or or why aren't you doing like everybody else is doing. So how are you dealing with this at eight, nine, 10, 11 years old? You don't. And see, that's, that's the struggle part because one, I already knew I didn't have a voice. You don't have a voice. You can't voice those opinions. And anytime I would ask, like, why do we do these things? Why does it matter if my shoes are black or if they're white? Why does it matter if my dress is this color or that color? Why does it matter if my socks are this color or that color? And it was always just, that's always the way we have done it. We want you to be not modest and you will continue to do it that way. And don't question because if you question us, you are disobeying. And so you and, get and to I'm a sure it's positioned like you're disobeying, not just your parent, but it's a direct relationship relationship to disobeying God, I presume. 100%. Yes. So 13 years old, you're done with eighth grade. And so you're like this cooking and cleaning business. I don't really know about it. What was your dad doing? Why were you interested more in or or were you even interested in what your dad was doing more so? Yeah, so I was always a tomboy. My dad, um, he had a metal business. And then he also did horse racing on the side, like he did train horses. Mm -hmm. And so I really got into training horses and loved it. Like would go train horses with my dad all the time. And I took care of more of the horses than what my brothers did because I had more interest in it. I loved being outdoors. I loved to be around the horses. And like, I had a special and still have a special gift of being able to just figure out, okay, this is what they need. This is the next thing we do for them. And it was something that I really enjoyed. So that's what I did. Wow. And so at which point, so part of the Amish culture is at some age, they give you a choice that you have to make right? You have to leave. You can leave. This is from my very limited exposure to the culture. But I know that at some point someone says, okay, here is an opportunity for you to go and be in the world. And if you be in the world and you decide this is where you want to be, then you can come back. Was that a similar scenario for you? Or that's not that's actually not what happened? Yeah, that's actually not true. Oh, so wow. reality TV paints that as a picture. So a okay. lot of people think that you have this choice, but that is not the truth. The expectation is at 16, this is when what most people get confused on why they think you have a choice. At 16, you have the option to go through what they call rumspringen. Mm-hmm. And rumspringen is like varies from community to community. So some, you know, it's very, um, a lot of drinking, partying, um, of course, behind the parents' back okay. because their parents don't know about it. 
Okay. And then the other side of it is more dating wise. Like you start dating at 16. Most of the girls are married by the time they're 18. And they, I mean, they're married and have like five kids by the time they're 22 or 23 years old. So when, when you grow up that way, the room spring, there was no option. You could choose one or the other. Okay. And so the way the culture is, depending on which community you come from, mm-hmm. because just like in, in other cultures, there's kind of different layers. Like there's one side of the Amish where they don't have running water. They don't have anything gas. Then there's the other layer of the Amish. They have running water, gas stove, gas refrigerator, and they have hot water. And then there's another level of the Amish that allow you to have electricity. Okay. Now, I was raised at the level where we had everything gas, but we didn't have any electricity. So that's kind of like the three different levels of kind of how I explain the Amish cultures are, okay. depending on where you live in the community. So being raised that way, I was told, like I was always raised, if you leave the Amish culture, you will be shunned. You don't have a choice to come back and you're never given a choice. So if you leave on your own terms, you're shunned. And it was very fear-based to the point where they would tell you, like, if you leave, there's no hope for your soul. Like, there's no saving you. Crazy. I'm sorry. Maybe that's not a a word to use, but that's- No, it is crazy. It is very much crazy. And tell me if this is too personal, but you leave. What does your father and your mother say and your siblings? Yeah. So the way, and I I will just share like prior to me leaving and I always get asked like, what pushed you over the edge to leave? Mm -hmm. What, you know, because you knew if you left, you were walking away from everything. Right. And everyone really. Yeah. And what really pushed me, I lost my best friend in a buggy accident at 16. And um, in her funeral, there was something said where they doubted whether she was going to go to heaven. Like some people were making those comments. Mind you, you know, I'm 16. I've just lost my best friend. And now I hear these comments within the community and I'm like, wait up. We say God is a God of love. Yeah. This is not love and I'm not going to subscribe to it anymore. And so I started questioning a lot of things like, why do we have so much judgment? The amount of judgment in that community. And it's interesting because a lot of people look at the Amish and they're like, oh, it's such a peaceful way of living and all these things. I'm like, no, 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 wait up. It is most the most judgmental community you will ever live in because you are judged for everything. If your hair is out of place, if your dress is wrong, whatever it is, you're constantly judged and looked down on all the time. And so having this, that really led me to question a lot of things. And I'll be honest, like that inner voice and that knowing I constantly had this growing up is knowing that I was always made for more. And I was always told that was pushed from an ego standpoint. But now being where I'm at in my life, I can see it was not an ego standpoint because I really believed I was made for more. So when I was... 16, I was like, why can't I go to college? I wasn't allowed to go to college. I couldn't get an education. And I was like, I wonder what it would be like to be like this career woman, have this amazing career, make this money, you know, be, you know, take care of yourself. So so let me ask, it's sounding like there's a lot of restrictions, right? And you're growing up in a home, you don't even have electricity. How do you know that there is more out there? Is it, did you interact? Is it that like you would, like, where would you even find some of the outside world to aspire to? Or was this just something that was just always innate? It was a little bit of both. One, okay. I read a ton of books. Okay. I would read so much. And then there was also, my dad had a business. So oh, yeah. a lot of times, you know, I was 
I was doing his payroll at 14 and paying bills and taking care of customers. So that was part of that as well. So you could kind of understand that and you kind of knew, like, I didn't necessarily know how college worked. I just knew that I really loved to learn and I still love to learn. And going to college meant a lot for me being able to like get my certificate, you know, my bachelor's degree. This is incredible. I- I'm over here like shell-shocked. Um, so you're 17 and you're out in the world for the first year. Describe to me that first year of like, I don't, you know, I don't have to worry about who's judging me for what I'm doing. What was your life like? Were you like, oh, freedom? You know, it's interesting because I will, I will back up a few steps. And when I left in the middle of the night, I literally jumped out of a two-story house to leave because I didn't want to have to face um, any of my family. And I left in the middle of the night with like a garbage bag full of clothes. And part of that is- is a movie. (laughs) One day, one day. Okay, by the way, side note, this is giving me a lot of Handmaid's Tale vibes. I'm hoping that it's not to that degree, you know, the the level of power-driven structure within the Amish community. Have you seen The Handmaid's Tale? No, I haven't. Okay, it's a TV show on Hulu, which you should watch because I feel like you're going to have a different perspective than most of the rest of the world. It's essentially about like, um, so the world is going to S-H-I to shit, right? And women and God is punishing women by making them infertile. So the, the birth rate across the globe is plummeting. And so this group of people are saying this is God's wrath upon the world and they're not giving women children. So essentially, if you are fertile, you are you become like property. You get you literally get like abducted by the government, this government of I forget the name of the city. And anyway, you're pretty much rotated around to the powerful men in this community to make babies for their you know, for procreation. So pretty much you carry this man's baby. And then when you give birth to the baby, you give it to that family and you go to the next family and do that. So, and then everything else is very like structured. You're supposed to, you know, walk in pairs. You're supposed, like, there's a lot of order. You should watch it. I think it's, it's going to be a fun watch for you if you care. Um, but it's giving me a lot of Handmaid's Tale vibes. Um, but so you're jumping out of two stories in the middle of the night with a trash bag full of clothes. Where do you think you're going? So I had an outside connection. Okay. And I and this is going to be a really vulnerable share on my side. And I only share it because somewhere out there, there's another teenage girl that's struggling with the same thing. She needs a way out and doesn't necessarily the right thing, right? <laughs> or doesn't necessarily know the resources and here's the thing like there was an outside source and he was 38 I was 17 so ended up going with him not understanding that you know eventually it was probably not going to go the way I thought it was going to go right and this is also how I ended up getting pregnant at 18 and looking back now the anger and One, it was a very abusive relationship because he knew the Amish, he knew the manipulation, so he manipulated me. And uh, looking back now, I realized, yeah, that was probably rape and didn't realize it in the moment. But I needed an out. So I'll take accountability for it. Like, I needed an out, right? So long story short, left the first year was... uh, it was one of the most challenging and one of the most loneliest times because there's this push and pull when you go to choose to make a change in your life, right? You've made, I made this choice to leave the culture. And then there's this 
a whole bunch of guilt because before I left the culture, mind you, everybody that knew me had conversations with me. Emily, you are, you're going to go to hell. Like you're going to go to hell and your kids are also going to go with you. So there's no turning back. You need to turn back now. You don't know what you're doing. You're crazy. Um, You need to go get help. And their version of help is not going to therapy. It's a different version of help. And, you know, you're disobeying your parents. You're disobeying God. And, you know, God is going to put all this wrath on you and all these, like it got so bad that the way I coped with it was the, what I call the blackout version. You can talk mm-hmm. to me and I can see you, but I block everything out. I can't even hear you. And so years later, I realized how much trauma was wrapped in this. Yeah. And I had to unpack that and I had to heal from it. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's challenging because through that time, I didn't realize just how traumatic it was and how I had developed all these coping mechanisms to get me through that ended up getting with this guy, right. knowing he knew if he got me pregnant, I would automatically marry him. If you get pregnant in the Amish culture, you automatically get married. So ha- got pregnant at 18, was married at 19. Year and a half into the marriage, I realized this shit is crazy. Never put up with the abuse, alcoholism, everything. Oh. And then found out I was pregnant again. So stayed, try to work it out. And then four years later, I finally ended up uh, filing for divorce. But that filing for divorce and breaking away from someone that is abusive and has narcissist tendencies is one of the hardest things I have done in my life. Because now I can also understand why people stay in abusive relationships. So a whole other perspective, but going through that. And then at the same time, the culture shock, understanding of like, where do I fit in now? What is my identity? Who am I? And I still struggled for years. How do I dress? Like I would show up and people be like, what are you wearing? Like, where are you from? And so I constantly thought I had this like label of Amish on my forehead. And I thought everyone could tell it because I didn't know. I didn't know how to do my hair. I didn't know how to dress. I had no idea. I was like, I don't know what what to do. I walked in to get my GED and the lady tells me you have a sixth grade education, but you can get your GED within two years. I ended up getting it in six months. And then after my divorce, I kind of went into this phase of like, guess what? Screw you. I will show you. I will make something out of my life because he never supported me going to college. I applied, applied to go to Purdue. I got accepted um, into Purdue. And my student advisor had told me, um, it's going to take you six years. You're working full-time in automotive. I was a supervisor in automotive and you have two boys and you're a single mom. So you need to plan six years. And I told her, no, I'm going to plan four because I don't have six years. I got four. That's all I got. And she was like, well, it's not possible. And I, I just started to laugh. And I was like, okay, we'll see. I said, I want my schedule as four years. And I, re- I refuse to settle for less. Yeah. And she, she gave it to me. And I graduated in four years. Where are you? Like, I, you're describing to me an incredibly tough situation. And tough is a, quite an understatement, frankly. But you somehow you're still finding these pockets of confidence where you're like, I'm trying to figure out what the outside world is supposed to like how to operate in the outside world. I'm trying to make something of myself and I'm going through a divorce that is incredibly difficult. I have two little boys who are completely dependent on me for their pretty much everything, but I'm going to finish college in four years. Where are you pulling this inspiration from? You know, that's a good question. And for, and before going to therapy and actually doing the healing work and doing the trauma, you know, really healing from the trauma that I've experienced in my life, I would have said, you know, I didn't really know where it come from, but now I can tell you where it came from. It came from through going through the trauma. The only thing that pulled me through another coping mechanism for me was 
make sure you make the impact that you want to have because you've mm-hmm. experienced this in your life. You will make something out of your life. And at the end of the day, you will figure it out. Mm-hmm. I've had the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows. And those moments where it's tough for me to really pull through the biggest life decisions, you know, going through divorce, uh, making the decision to go to school, making the decision to move from Indiana to Florida with nothing but my whatever could fit in my car with two boys. Those decisions in those scary moments, I go back and I always acknowledge, okay, the fear is there and I have a choice. Do I face that fear or do I stay stuck? And then I'm constantly reminded of where I came from. And, and a lot of the times, you know, it, it, it is a trauma. Some of it is trauma driven. And I acknowledge that because when you go through trauma, you refuse to ever go back to that situation yeah. once you've healed from it. But at the same time, it gives you such a drive that you almost go into mm-hmm. this mode of like, you said I couldn't do anything with my life. I will show you. And so many parts of my lives, life, I have done that. And it served me well, right? So it served, but on the other side, it's not served me so well. And I share this because I've also had to learn how to recondition myself to, from a trauma perspective, is I have such high expectations for myself that some days I don't even meet my own expectations, which is really messed up because Emily's expectation is, why haven't you made a million dollars? Like six figures is not enough right now. When clearly it's enough. Right. But I I completely hear you. Like, and what you're saying, it sounds from a perspective of coming from a place of trauma, it sounds like, you know, a triumph, right? To be where you are right now. It's like talking to any normal person, they'll be like, girl, you are done. Like, you are made. This, what more do you want? But to still have that, I think that's the difference between, you know, the people who do something extraordinary and people who live an everyday life is you have to have high expectations of yourself. Sometimes those high expectations will drive you to maybe some, uh, how do I say this? Sometimes it may be too harsh. You may be being too harsh on yourself mentally, physically, in every way. But if you don't set the bar high, if you don't have big dreams, you're not really aspiring too much. So, and, and oftentimes we, our dreams can be here and, If we're dedicated, we can get to where we want to be. But oftentimes you will land, if you're starting here and your dream is here, oftentimes you're going to land here first, right? And you're going to tarry in that place for a little bit. And then maybe, you know, okay, I'm here now. Okay, let's bump the expectations high again. And then you move a little bit up. By the time you get to your initial rate, you should have much higher expectations than where you already are. And that's just, that's how I think, you know, successful people think. Not to say that I'm like super successful, but (laughs) that's how I imagine Well, and I think, I think there's something to be said that to a point, this is where I got to a point in my life. I realized uh, this is really where I found meditation and I found Mm -hmm. the inner peace and really found myself. I realized you have no idea. You've only scratched the surface of your eventual. And when I realized that it scared me in a sense that I haven't even tapped into the potential that I have. I'm sitting here with unlimited potential and I'm not even scratching the surface. And do you think that this kind of finding yourself, you come from a, you know, quasi Christian background. Is there any part of that that is so tied to your to Christianity at all? Or are you like, screw all of this? No. 
so there was there was a phase where I was like you know what if God is real cool if not I don't really care like that kind of went through that phase and I kind of had gone to the phase of like well I'm already burning in hell I might as well live my best life that's kind of how I lived for a little bit and then through COVID the pandemic it changed my life it was Mm -hmm. a blessing in my life I found um, meditation for the first time and while the world was going through this chaotic crazy time I found the peace and by peace, it was like a curtain was lifted and I could no longer unsee what I had seen, what I had felt. And that piece really led me to really understand the Christian, the programming, the way I was programmed to believe. And then I kind of ditched all because before I would take my boys to church because I was like, I want you know them to learn about God, Jesus and all these things. And, and we were going to church until the, the pandemic hit. And then I had found meditation. I was like, man, I can't subscribe to a religion anymore. Now mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there are not good religions because I'm sure there are. Mm-hmm. For me personally, anything that puts restrictions in place that is not coming from a place of love. And so I tend to go more to the spiritual side of things. I feel like we are all divinely connected. Your God is a God of woman, God of man, whatever your God is. You believe in a higher power, we are all energy. And so my thing is like on an energetic level, you know, we're all one huge universe. Right. And I don't necessarily subscribe to like any religion anymore. But I will share that because it was really hard for me to be aware of how I had been programmed and then letting go of that wow. because I was yeah. like, what happens now? And, you know, I had all these questions I couldn't necessarily answer, but I did tap in to what I consider as my God. It's a female. Like, I'm just going to say it. So, but it could be my inner voice too. Like, I don't know. And I'm okay with that because there's guidance and there's downloads I get that I can't explain. I can't explain why I picked up the phone before I was supposed to start a job and told them I wasn't going to start. And they offered me a $25,000 raise to start. I can't explain why I made the decision overnight to go from Indiana to Tampa, Florida, where I knew one person. So those are just two children with two two children as a single mom. Yeah. (laughs) So those, and there's, there's so many times that I have miracles literally every day and every day is a miracle if we think about it, but it's perception, right? I can choose to say, you know, today is a miracle because I, everything is working on my body today, you know, because I'm breathing and I'm living, and I have the choice to choose love. And prior to really finding meditation in the spiritual the spiritual realm of things, now there's multiple ways and we can go on and on about what's in the spiritual world and what the beliefs are and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But my thing is in the spiritual world, I believe that I'm always connected to a higher power and there's always divinely guided in my life. And I can't tell you how I have been connected with some incredible, amazing people. And you are the energy that you attract. And if you don't believe that, have a really bad attitude and see what happens throughout your day. And Mm -hmm. then go do gratitude for 30 seconds or a minute and see how your energy changes and what happens in your day. Wow, that's incredible. I think, you know, for me, I'm a Christian. And so for me, that guiding light that you refer to, it has to come from a place of love, right? It has to come from a place of, you know, from a place of you are forgiven. You are, uh, no matter what it is that you have done, or even will do, there is always forgiveness and there's always grace. And whatever it is, if it's not coming from that place, then that's where the question starts to pop into there. You know, like that's where you start to poke holes and like, okay, what, what really is this? Um, but okay, so you're, for, you're a divorce, two boys, first divorce, work a job for 12 years, and you're like, okay, this is not the way. 
I need to do something else in my life. Then you fall in love again, or so you thought. Yeah, so um, fell in love again. We were together for seven years, um, married for two. And he came home one day and was like, he just said, I no longer love you. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He was like, yeah, he's like, I want a divorce. And we had been going through counseling to deal with some marriage problems. So like I was aware there was marriage problems and a lot of it was always, you have too high of expectations. Why can't you just be normal? Why can't you just settle for what you have? Why do you continuously drive? And my thing was you're staying stagnant in life. Like what's going on? And I, I see now, you know, looking back at the relationship, it was not a relationship that served me at all. And even though in the moment it was really hard and it was one, it was a really hard heartbreak for me right. to go through that. And then the counselor, the day the counselor had told us that he could no longer help us because he, um, my ex-husband now was refusing to do the work. He wouldn't show up and do any of the work. And that day I had a realization of, yeah, this is probably not going to work. I looked at him and I said, so what do we do now? And he said, well, we're just going to do what we've always done. Like, it'll be okay. And so we went for a couple months until he walked home and said, yeah, I no longer love you. And that was a realization. And it, and there was a dark period for some time. I, like, I went from being a clean eater, no alcohol, no nothing, to wanting to drink all the time, to wanting to stress eat, binge eat, anything to numb out the pain because I didn't know how to regulate myself. I felt unworthy. I felt- You seem, in your story, it seems, and sorry to interrupt, but in your story, it seems like you're always battling two extremes. It's like you're being swung in this pendulum and you're either all the way over there or you're all the way over there. And there's hardly a middle. And I feel like part of, of your, your journey is figuring out what your middle is. 100%. And I would, I would, it is so interesting that you bring that up because I would say within the last year, I have really asked myself, what is that middle? What is that balance? And then also been aware that for 90% of my life, I operated from a trauma response, a survival mechanism response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if there wasn't something going on in my life, my brain was like, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on? What's wrong? Why don't we have any problems to fix? And like my brain was just going hundred miles per hour. And then realizing that it's okay. Like we're out of the survival mode now. We need to go into freaking thrive mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really where things started to shift. But yeah, 100%, it was one way or the other. It was very extreme. And just like, you know, in powerlifting, if you think about it, I went from not knowing how to lift to hitting a thousand pound total and being an athlete level. And so those are like the extremes, but those things drove me. And again, going back to a trauma response. And after my second divorce, I had told myself, I will find out who I am and I will figure out why I keep hearing the voice that you are made for more, playing too small. Like I would constantly hear that and I couldn't figure it out. And I had gotten to the point where I didn't want to be a parent. I was done. I was like, I'm tired. The boys' dad was uh, walking out of their life. So I was strictly single, single parents. And I had called my friend and I told her, I was like, come, just come get my boys. Like, I don't want to be a mom. I don't want to do anything. And she told me, she goes, you have two choices. Go check yourself in and get help or go book a vacation. And I was like, those are, those sound stupid ideas. Never took a vacation, solo vacation. She goes, well, make the choice and let me know which one it is. 
And I was like, well, I'm not going to therapy because at the time I thought therapy was so stupid. Later, therapy changed my life. If someone says go to therapy, find you a good therapist and go. Fact. Are you guys <laughs> listening, classmates? You're not in therapy, find a way there. And if you don't like that therapist, fire, her, fire that one and go find you one no, that no, you no. like. <laughs> <laughs> but I went on the solo vacation. I decided to go on the solo vacation. And on the solo vacation, I told, asked myself, what's the one thing on my bucket list mm-hmm. that I want to do? And that was skydiving. So I booked my skydiving before I could back out and went to San Diego for a vacation. And that vacation was the start of one writing and two finding myself because I sat down and I asked myself the hard questions. And I can still remember it like yesterday, I was sitting on the beach and I cried for the first day, like just kept crying. It was like releasing everything. And the thing about it is the questions I was asking myself was, what do you want to create? What kind of life do you want to have? Right. And the biggest things that came up is I did not want to live in the Midwest anymore. I was tired of it. I didn't want to live in this small town. Everyone knew everybody's business gossip. Like it was crazy. I was tired of it. I didn't want to live in a small town. I hated my corporate job, even though I was really, really good at it. And I had worked up to the level that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I had, I knew I had to make some tough choices. And that was the choice where I choose to quit my corporate job with no, I mean, no plan, zero plan. I had a savings account and that was it. And I literally took two weeks of vacation prior to actually quitting. And that's where I actually wrote one of the books that I'm getting ready to publish. Mm -hmm. I just sat down and I wrote like 56,000 words in two weeks. Like the words just poured. And and I found that, you know, and that really was where um, the whole concept of inspire, empower, impact came from. Yeah, It's kind of like my brands where... I believe like in inspiring people and in empowering them to take action and then they get the impact that they want. And through that left, you know, the corporate world, you know, started coaching and consulting multiple. And through that also pandemic hits and I find, you know, meditation for the first time and realizing, wow, like my life has completely changed. Yeah. Still loving, you know, the business, uh, coaching so and then and then ended up um making the decision to leave med- the, the midwest and move into florida and it was if i look back now that moment on san diego like in san diego really mm-hmm. defined my life a lot and how long ago was this that was in 2019 how much life can happen in what two years three <laughs> that's incredible um so you you said you said something that i i picked up on is you were asking yourself the hard questions, which was, what do you want to do? Like, what is the impact that you want to make? And I want you to answer that question to our listeners. Now, when you have, you know, a client that you consult, what is the biggest thing that you hope that they take away from working with you? What is that impact that you want to make in in one person's life or even in the world? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I have on a business impact for working with small business owners is teaching them that they can have whatever business they want to have and then setting it up for them in that way. Okay. So that's the biggest thing from a business side. On a personal level, when I do personal uh, coaching, the biggest thing that the impact that I want to leave on them is how to tap into that unlimited potential that they have. And when those roadblocks come up, how do you work through them instead of mm-hmm. allowing them to stay stuck? And one of the most common things that I help people with is working through fear. They think fear is like this scary thing, but in all honesty, fear is just a protective mechanism. Right. It is just a feeling just like happiness is a feeling. Mm-hmm. And if you can figure out how to face that 
it's not negative. It's a neutral feeling, right? right? If you can figure out how to face that fear and actually feel it, like if you close your eyes and you, you ask yourself, where do I feel it in my body and allowing it to be there, you can, you can do anything you want in, in your life. You become un- unstoppable. Yeah. And I think we live in a culture now where everyone, everyone says that they're un- like, there's a certain, how do I say this? There's a certain, there's, it's very welcomed right now. It's, 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 it's kind of the trendy, right? To be empowered and to want to conquer the world and to want to do all these things. It's trendy to, to, to have that feeling, but it's, yeah. we live in a time where it's, it's, I think, one of the most difficult times to actually do that. It is in a sense, but in also sense, we are very empowered if you think about it. If you think about the access that we have, the resources that we have, the amount of learning, but there's also the double edge because I also yeah. think about it. I have to really be careful that I don't get just into a consuming mode and consume all the things and then never take the action. And so I always tell my clients, as much as you consume, that's how much time you need to spend taking action or creating something that you really want. You can't spend 30 hours consuming YouTube videos and then not go create 30 hours worth of stuff that you need to create. And that's what I mean is it's, we live in a time where the, the messaging is a lot. There's a lot of the messaging. It's like, oh, you can be, you can do, you can, all these things. And you, it's so easy to, to get down in that rabbit hole of consuming all of that. But then when you start to try to, to do the counter, which is create, right? Oftentimes that's where the true fear starts to like, you know, separate, you know, people. Um, and I think that's the hard part. I don't think a lot, enough people are talking about what that is like. What, once you're done, if you shut out all, like if you stop taking the courses, if you stop watching the YouTube videos, if you start reading the blogs or following the influencers and you just focus on doing what you need to do, why, like, what is the reason why you can't do it? I think there's a lot of empowerment, but the empowerment is to my, in my opinion, a little bit misplaced, but that could just be my opinion. No. And I think that's a very valid, like, that is a very valid point. And that is one of the things I will teach you one of the first things I will teach you as a client I need to understand how much are you consuming go and check your screen time let me know and then stop like put put something put a tracker on you like cut those apps out even when I get focused because it's so easy to get distracted you go on your phone to do check a text message and before you know it you're on Instagram Facebook whatever it is and before you know it you went down this rabbit hole and now you saw something you want to buy and now you're purchasing it like it's it's constant. And if you don't have the level of awareness of what you're doing and how your phone is set up, one, the very first thing I did was I started turning off all my notifications besides text messaging. Me too. I'm still Instagram is like, come here. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I did the same thing. I, I left the only notifications I have is emails and text messages and calls, of course, but other, everything else, Otherwise, I'm going to be in my phone all day. Yeah. And then the, the, the app timers, like that's the other thing that I implemented. I went and asked myself, like, if I say I don't have enough time, but my screen time is four hours, I need to put some app timers on here. And so guess what? I love Instagram. I love to be on my stories. I love Instagram a lot, but I don't need to be on there for over an hour a day. Like that is ridiculous. And so putting those app timers in and saying, okay, now I can take that time to create whatever I'm working on. No, and, and that's also another thing is you can do all the app timers too, but you got to counter that, right? You, if you say, I'm going to stop Instagram after one hour a day and I have now three hours that I could have been on Instagram. And then in the three hours you go take a nap, maybe you need a nap and that's good. But if you don't need a nap then, or you go from Instagram to Netflix 
you know, we're, we're not really winning here. <laughs> so, and I think that's the hardest part is we're not really, we're in a culture and, and I'm saying this from experience where there's not a lot about like, how do you push yourself to actually do the thing? And you can't really answer that question. There's no coach. There's no anybody that could help you do that because it has to come from you. I would say the other thing too is accountability. You know, how do you hold yourself accountable? And that's one thing that I have been really good about is the discipline and the accountability. And it's really putting a system in place for me. And that system is I sit down and I get real with myself every single week. I ask myself the hard questions. What did you do really good? Like, what do you want to celebrate so hard for yourself? Like, how did you show up? But I also ask myself, where are the areas of improvement at? Because at the end of the day and every single day, my goal is always to become a better version of myself. That's and if you- Absolutely amazing. You sound like you done made a million dollars already. I can see it. <laughs> it's coming, it's I coming. I can see it and I can see in the very near future, I can see that book is about to be a bestseller. Like I can see it. No, honestly, I think sometimes you talk to people. I always read books about, you know, books written by people who are, you know, perceived successful, Michelle Obama, Trevor Noah, like, you know, right. autobiographies. And oftentimes you read this person's story growing up and they're like an everyday person. But in those stories, the little things that they did, their perspective on the world, why Michelle was, you know, such an avid reader or just really insatiably curious about everything or why, why Trevor Noah grew up like, you know, in apartheid, right? But somehow his mom was like, read this book and then read this other book. And, and he at some point was like, okay, I'm going to just like read about everything else that is out there in the world. Like little things that you do define who you will become. And I can see that in from when you were eight, nine years old and wanting to be not the thing that everybody thought you should be. And that's a common thread with, you know, most of the incredible people that we see, you know, that we consider successful. So, um, but before I, I don't, this is my projection is you're going to do all the incredible things that you want to do. But I want to ask you, paint me a picture of like what that life is right now as like your expectations. And feel free, if, if that's something that's too sacred to share, I, I completely understand. But what is, what is Emily Adams' life like, you know, where your expectations are right now? Oh, I love that question. <laughs> I love that because it's right on my vision board. Yeah. Um, so I would say like, if you ask me in five years, what my expectation is and kind of what I'm working toward, my expectations is to definitely make a million dollars, but to also have a team to really help me drive the impact that I want to have. And that impact is um, speaking on stage and sharing my story nice. because I am just I'm just me, right? I'm just a unique person. Like I'm myself, just like anyone else. Yeah. I don't have the special talents, the special gifts. Like there's no secret to it. And that's one of the things I really want to share with people is you always have a choice. Right. You have the choice to change at any time. So I would say speaking, leading workshops to whether it's um, how do you heal from the trauma? How do you build your business? I'm really good at anything business related. Okay. And I'm also really good at teaching you how your mind works mm. and to be aware of programming and the belief. I can listen to somebody talk and see very closely what their programming and their beliefs are. Okay, pause, and pause. Let me take a mental note there. It's like after this interview, let me ask Emily some questions. <laughs> but keep going. And then uh, the other is having the freedom 
to travel the world. So if I just want to take get up and take a month and spend it in a different country to have the ability to just do so. And that is that is what my expectations is in five years and preferably to publish two or three more books. Fabulous. I think I like I like that. I like I like that. You know, I don't want to call it a dream because it's already realized a little before five years. So I, I like where it's headed. Uh you're you're incredibly incredibly incredible incredibly intelligent um and such an incredible story i mean i floored i am just like what as you can tell because you're looking at me and i'm like i don't have words i'm, I'm just over here mumbling things <laughs> but emily okay. this has been such a blessing to talk to you um before we wrap up though tell the people where to find you um how to get in contact with you what's your podcast just give us all the deep yeah so the best place to go find me is just go to emilyadams.net that's my website um i am more active on instagram my instagram handle is inspire empower impacts following and uh, my youtube is under emily adams and all all my youtube if you comment whatever i always respond to those and always i love to hear when people find me on youtube and they send me you know something on instagram they're like oh i watch your youtube video and they share yeah. these things i love to hear anything and if there's content that you want to see or that you have questions i always make it very clear to anyone that reaches out even though i'm a coach it doesn't mean that you can't send me a question and I'll answer it because I guarantee you I'm going to answer it and I'm not going to charge you for a call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but still book her though. Do it the right way. We need this million dollars. Okay. <laughs> we need these million dollars. Um. Anyway, Emily, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your story and thank you most importantly for sharing it. Um, I think, I think you're, you have a, a good head on your shoulders. I think your parents will be proud. Um, uh, and we can talk about this offline, but, uh, I was going to actually ask, like, do you talk to them? Did anybody ever try to reach out? Is it, you know, just like, yeah. So we have, interesting enough, we have, um, since then built our relationship back. Hi. Um, so we have somewhat of a relationship. Yeah. Okay. Well, somewhat is better than no one. No that one. That's right. <laughs> right? That is and, right. And, yeah, I think I think that's a good thing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Classmates, this has been incredibly incredible. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys. I'll see you guys in the very next episode. Until then, peace.